Welcome back to the Thermo Diet Podcast. I'm your host, Jayton Miller. I'm super excited for you to be able to listen to our guests today, Ashley and Sarah. They're super knowledgeable, and I'm super excited to uh, kind of dive into these topics. So let's get into this one. How's it going today, guys? Today I'm here with Sarah and Ash. How y'all doing today? Great. Thank you so much for having us on this podcast. Yes, ma'am. Thank y'all for y'all's time. Um, so if y'all could, for the listeners out there who might not know who y'all are, could y'all kind of give a little bit of background as to where y'all came from? Yeah, sure. So I am Ashley. I'm Sarah. And we are sisters. And we have really been into health and wellness for like almost a decade now. And so obviously what we view as healthy has evolved since then. So if we flash back to the beginning, we were definitely into just like bro style, clean eating um, and powerlifting. And then it kind of, we kind of got into like, if it fits your macros, like Lane Norton kind of style. And then that evolved to like more being plant-based and that evolved to like fasting and then keto and then carnivore. And then now to like kind of more the thermo approach and metabolic approach. And um, so in that evolution, we kind of experienced some autoimmune conditions and that's what really made us change the way that we were eating. Um, so we developed some autoimmune symptoms back like probably three or four years ago after doing kind of like the, if it fits your macro style where we don't really, we were, we weren't really focusing on like micronutrients or like kind of the right kind of foods. We were just making sure that we hit our fat, our carbs and our protein. Well, we thought we were, cause we were like eating vegetables yeah. and broccoli and stuff. And yeah. That was good. But then we would like fit in like a box of cereal and like, <laughs> um, <laughs> certain things like that. And that clearly just wasn't helping us. Um, and then we started eating a lot more vegetables and that was making our symptoms worse. And so Sarah actually was, uh, went to a rheumatologist and the rheumatologist, um, took some blood work and her blood work showed really elevated ANA. And the doctor told her that she would one day develop lupus and like, here's some prescription medication and you just, just got to wait it out. You're going to get lupus one day until then, just like, don't exercise, don't go into the sun. And so we just weren't happy with this response. And so um, our mom actually encouraged us to not take the medication. And since that, since that moment, we've tried to take our health into our own hands through like dieting um, and fasting. And that's what kind of led us into the keto and, if, um, and then eventually carnivore, which definitely helped reduce like inflammation and certain symptoms. Um, but we weren't really aware of this other pro-metabolic approach out there that's so far removed from what we were doing before, right? So we were definitely like plant-based, um, eating a lot of inflammatory foods. And then now uh, it's a completely different approach where we, we aren't even eating, eating vegetables. So it's been quite the evolution. I think that we pretty much tried everything, low fat, high fat, zero carbs, the whole shebang. Um, and we honestly have never felt better now with this pro metabolic approach. I think one thing she missed was when we went to do the keto and the fasting and eventually carnivore, although a lot of our autoimmune symptoms disappeared, I think our hormonal situation got worse, which is, that's how we actually found like this thermo diet yeah. approach when trying to fix our hormones. Yeah. So I've, I've had amenorrhea for a long time and Sarah had it for like four or five years. Um, and that's one huge thing that like fasting keto and carnivore didn't fix. We didn't get our periods back. Um, and so that was the main reason that we switched out of carnivore was adding in these like easy to digest, low toxin carbohydrates. And that's what kind of led us to like the repeat pro metabolism, um, approach coming out of carnivore to try to fix our, uh, our hormones. 
That's awesome. So, you know, going through those different stages of eating, did y'all experience any kind of benefits in those other ways of eating that y'all would uh, kind of see that other people tend to exude in some cases? Yeah, I, I definitely say that, like, I'm very thankful for our period of doing carnivore. Um, I personally didn't feel that great doing keto, but looking back, like, we are eating a ton of cruciferous vegetables and we're not cooking them properly. Um, and like I said, plant-based, we're really only eating eggs for our protein. And then switching to carnivore, we now have this really bioavailable protein source. We're eating a ton of protein. Um, we're removing anything that can cause inflammation in our gut. So of course we feel like amazing. Um, so I definitely saw reduced inflammation. I saw improved energy, improved digestion relative to adding in all of those, like relative to that plant-based heavy vegetable time period. Um, I think it's all relative though, because anytime you like pull a lever, anytime somebody makes a dietary adjustment, they're going to feel different. And so we were told the benefits of keto. So then we would get into ketosis and we would kind of experience what we thought it was supposed to feel like. It's just like after a while, it wasn't actually what we expected. It was all relative because before we felt like crap. Yeah. So it still wasn't optimal. Right. But I would say that like, I, I did experience benefits on carnivore and I think it was a really great time period for us because we discovered the bioavailable nutrients in meat and organ parts. So we're, we're huge on like, I would say now we're kind of like nose to tail eating, nose to tail, like animal-based eating with easy to digest carbohydrates. And we wouldn't have like recognized that or started to realize like, Hey, where does my food actually come from and discover regenerative agriculture if we didn't go through um, carnivore. And I think that that, that step, it was like a stepping stone to get to where we were now. And I think that it did lead to improvements, but for us now being on the other side, um, I think that this current way of eating is definitely more sustainable. And I actually feel better than I did on full carnivore last year. That's awesome. So during these transitionary periods where did y'all just go as hard as y'all could whenever y'all were switching from diet to diet, or did y'all kind of take y'all's time switching in between? Um, I think we, I think because it was like such a large evolution that it was a rather slow transition because we first started with fasting. And so we would enter ketosis at a certain point, but when then we would eat high carb, we'd get kicked out of ketosis. So eventually we lowered our carbs, then we got into keto and then we continuously lowered our carbs to the point of no longer eating vegetables. So that was carnivore. And then we reversed that. So when we started adding in carbs, we started pretty slow. Yeah. Um, probably like 75 grams a day. And then it got up to like 150 grams a day and then over 200 and then over 300, which is where we're at now. Because we're just consuming a lot of calories now to yeah. fix our hormones. <laughs> but it was like, it was both ways. So slowly in and slowly out, which I think helped us because it, I think that adding in carbs, once you go from a keto or a carnivore diet can be intimidating, especially for females, because they feel, well, first off, you're going to like, of course, have water weight that you like instantly gain. And so it gave us time mentally to adjust to it all, which was helpful. I don't know that everybody needs to like tiptoe into it. Yeah. But yeah. And also discovering like which carbs actually worked well yeah. for us. Which uh, like after you go through such an extreme elimination diet of carnivore, it's really valuable to slowly add things in because then you can learn about like what's going to work for you. Yeah. And if you spend all that time doing carnivore anyway, like you might as well spend the time solving that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. What were some of the ways that y'all tracked um, what did and didn't work for y'all? Did y'all happen to just like write this down or was it a mental note? Kind of just mental note. We definitely started with what we considered like the most benign. Um, so raw honey and like raw dairy. Um, so we started with those and then we introduced like squash and fruit. Um, and we started with just like berries, but then we were got more open to like the tropical fruits um, and experimented with like which fruits worked better because some have higher seeds than others. Um, so it was kind of like raw honey, raw dairy, squashes and fruits. And then we would experiment, experiment with having some like starches on occasion, like well-cooked potatoes or well-cooked rice, um, things like that. So we kind of started with that kind of spectrum. And I think now personally, we've kind of have an idea of which carbs make us feel the best. And personally, I think uh, relying more on like the sucrose carbs. So the ones that are like roughly 50% glucose, 50% fructose, so the honey, the fruits, and then having those starches on occasion definitely is where I personally feel the best. So kind of experimenting with the amounts, the types, the combinations, um, and kind of just mental notes. Awesome. So whenever y'all were uh, transitioning over, what are some of the benefits that y'all began to experience? Oh, that's okay. That's a lot. I think right off the bat was just like energy, of course. And I mean, we have to be honest and we did increase our calories significantly when we started to introduce carbs because we were trying to fix our hormones, which requires a caloric surplus for the most part. But as a note there, all of last year, so all of 2019, we were carnivore and we, I was in a caloric surplus for the whole year. So I was eating like 25 to 2,600 calories, zero carbs, a carnivore. Um, Sarah eventually got up to that point, but she was doing a bikini competition. So we did have a long period of time while we were doing full carnivore, we were in a caloric surplus and then we entered like a dieting phase early 2020. And that's kind of when we ran into these hormonal issues and that's what made us like switch. And so we were in a deficit and then adding, added the carbs back in to get back into a surplus. Um, so I think, like she said, getting in that caloric surplus is one factor, like regardless of carbs versus fat fueled, whatever. Um, so that definitely helped, but I think that it was kind of like a different level of energy. Yeah. Um, I was more like sustained energy instead of like running on adrenaline energy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, another note is like, we also pay attention to eating pretty regularly throughout the day now. So like every three or four hours, which before we would like really pride ourselves in fasting and time restricted feeding, not needing food. And the difference in how we feel throughout the day is like, we describe it as like, we released the corset that was tied around. Like we were really like tense and I think we were really moody, although we didn't really recognize it. And so much more stable mood now, much more stable energy. I think our skin has color. Like I look at pictures of myself from last year. And although I spent time out in the sun, I was like, I looked like death. Like I look really skeletonish, really, really pale. And that's not just like a matter of like less body fat. It was like, I just had no life to me. Yeah. So we did. And we also gained um, a lot of weight, but that's kind of our goal with getting our periods back and fixing our hormones. She actually got her period back after four months of adding in carbs and eating in a surplus and not fasting. I'm still waiting for my period to return. Um, but yeah, like, I think, like she said, the major difference was just like a, a difference in energy. We were really lean. Um, and so very clearly when we were fasting all the time, we were definitely running on cortisol and adrenaline. 
And like, that feels great for a while, but now being on the other side of it, like you can, you can feel the difference in the energy. It's really hard to describe. Um, but like she said, I think the biggest one is just like, rather than being like this all day, it's kind of just more like at ease, relaxed. Um, I was, I used to get really snappy, um, like in 2019, early 2019. And that's like definitely improved. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a huge difference from what we were doing before, because I think a lot of the vegetables and the ways that we were improperly cooking them was definitely causing like digestive stress and giving us bad energy. But then now being on the other side, using these easy to digest carb sources that give you almost instant energy. It's a huge difference. Um, yes. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Cause like people always attribute when like, they're like keto or carnivore, they're like, Oh, carbs give me carb crashes and I get like fatigued. But like, there is a difference in like how you're digesting them and whether you're like using sustained energy and whether you're consuming them with a lot of PUFAs, which thinking back, we were like nut butter fanatics yeah. um, and weren't paying attention to like vegetable oils. We would be consuming a lot of margarine, um, which is just, <laughs> yeah. So like back then consuming like refined grains, bat, like hard to digest carbohydrates with PUFAs to now no PUFAs and easy to digest carbs. It's like totally different. Definitely. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Chris calls that the catecholamine honeymoon, that brief period for around 30 days, whenever you feel great. And then it kind of goes downhill from there. Mm-hmm. But no, it's interesting how y'all talk about the tense feeling versus the almost relaxed feeling. Um, one of the things that they talk about is it's an insufficiency of energy production similar to rigor mortis, how bodies tend to tense up whenever you die because there's a lack of energy production and it actually takes energy for the muscle to be able to relax. So it's interesting. And especially with us, like we didn't have much body fat to begin with. And so like, I don't know what our body was was running on sometimes. Um, And it's a little bit scary to think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what do y'all think are the highest leverage factors that y'all have implemented so far? Highest what? The, the highest leverage factors. So for instance, not only diet, but possibly other kinds of activators like walking and sunshine and things like that. Yeah. So we've really been into neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis for like a long time. Um, and we've realize like the importance of steps and like just being active throughout the day. And so that's something that we've really incorporated for the last like five or six years. So that's kind of just like a habit of ours. We try to just get around 10 to 12 to 15,000 steps, just depending on the day. We also have three large dogs. And so if we don't do that, they're crazy. So that's kind of just something that we think is important health-wise. And we've been incorporating for a long time. Um, in 2019, we definitely started to try to get into the sun a lot more. And I think that that's really important, but I would say the, the number one thing that we've changed this year is just eating more regularly. It's, it's so sad that it's looked down upon. Like I don't need to eat three to four hours. So I am cool. Like I, I'm, I, I don't know. It, it's just Ooh. this like attitude <laughs> of like, I don't need to rely on food and like, that's great for you, but there's nothing wrong with eating three to every three to four hours. It, it, it was like a weird mental shift um, to like accept and allow yourself to do that as silly as that sounds. Um, but I think that that has really helped us with like stress reduction recently and kind of getting rid of like fasting and this like idea that if I don't fast, then I'm not going to be healthy. I think that 
that's been one of the biggest changes this year is kind of removing that daily time restricted feeding for us, for us. So what do those meals typically look like throughout the day? Yeah. So we always have a carb and a protein and usually fat. We would add in like saturated fat. So we never really just have like just a starchy carb. If we're going to have something like potatoes, we'll add like honey or a fruit. So we like to combine those carbs. Um, Breakfast. Do you want like a, like a specific meal? Let's do it. Okay. So breakfast, here's a full day of eating. Breakfast. We're always going to have an egg, uh, maybe some liver, beef or chicken liver, um, potentially some raw cheese, some uh, fruit, some raw honey, and then maybe some orange juice. So that's like a typical breakfast. Um, And then for a snack, we always will never just have a carb for a snack. Don't do that. That's what's going to give you the instant energy and then a huge crash um, that a lot of people talk about. Um, So like, don't just eat an orange or don't just eat an apple. So we'll have some sort of like fruit with some raw dairy as like a snack. Cause that raw dairy will have that fat and that protein that is needed to like keep your blood sugar stable. Um, and then sometimes we add in coffee here too. Yeah. On, on occasion. And then for lunch, it'll be similar to breakfast where we'll have some sort of protein source, whether that's like muscle meat or like, um, homemade gummies. So we try to combine muscle meat with gelatin sources and then, raw dairy, raw cheese, and then some fruit or carb source. And then snack is very similar to that. And then dinner, we always like to have kind of like some squash with some raw honey, muscle meat, and maybe some raw butter in there and then in broth. And then, uh, we always have, we always like to have a snack, like it's kind of more like a meal close to bedtime. So it's typically like homemade, raw dairy ice cream with some gummies and Sarah has this weird thing about like a sweet and salty. So she likes to add raw cheese on top of like our raw ice cream, raw dairy ice cream or raw dairy smoothie stuff. So it's a lot of fruit, honey, raw dairy, squashes, muscle meat, typically from ruminant animals, but we'll enjoy chicken and pork on occasion. And then um, some organ meats and then like a a lot of gelatin sources such as homemade gummies or broth. That's awesome. And y'all recently just got rid of y'all's farm, correct? Got rid of it? Got rid of it? Did y'all sell it? Or did y'all move to a farm? Oh, okay. Okay. How's We have both um, been in our current home that we're recording this in right now. Um, it's in central Illinois. We've been in this house for over five years now. We just sold this house. And then we bought a piece of property in southwest Michigan, um, where it has about 25 acres and we'll be starting a regenerative farm. Maybe this winter we're going to try otherwise early spring 2021. So we are entering the regenerative farming world soon. Awesome. What um, kind of inspired you to do that? I think our whole health journey has like led us to this because especially when we got into carnivore, um, we started really looking into like toxins in our food and we realized the importance of like where you source your food from. Um, so in order to get good meat, we would have to go find a bunch of local farmers. And so going to local farms meeting them, getting to know them, we really started to love the lifestyle and like we would see how they would raise their kids and um, just getting back to nature. And it inspired us to, we wanted that for ourselves and then for our families in the future. And then I'm going to take that one step further. Okay. Um, I, I'm an engineer. And so I love like learning about how things work, why they work. And 
we've always been like environmentally conscious. And so that's why we were vegan plant-based for a while. Cause we thought at the time, <laughs> the reason she said that is because we ate eggs. So we were vegan plus eggs, vegan. That's what we just called it. So we, we've always been like interested in that. Um, little did we know how bad like monocropping um, is for the environment and how a lot of plant-based diets are not sustainable for the environment. And so that led us into regenerative agriculture um, and learning. I just kind of really got fascinated with soil and how regenerative agriculture improves soil health and helps us build topsoil. Um, and I think like the underlying connection with like our decade of interest in health and wellness is like, if we don't have healthy soil, like we aren't going to have a healthy nation. Um, we're just every year after year, we're depleting the soil of its nutrients and we're relying on these synthetic fertilizers that really give us a limited set of nutrients. And so I'm just like, I love soil and I love the idea that like we will one day be able to be soil builders. Like that's our biggest interest in regenerative agriculture is like it can contribute to the climate um, where if we don't have topsoil, it's going to be really hard for humans to live on this planet. And so regrowing that topsoil through regenerative agriculture is just something that like I find fascinating. Definitely. Um, can you kind of speak on the details as to how that works? Because I personally have not looked in depth at it. And I feel like that's one thing that nobody has talked about on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, okay. So there, just like in um, nutrition world, there's dogma, right? So in farming, you're going to come across a lot of farmers. And, and here I am talking as a first generation female farmer with no experience. And so this is all that what I have learned and collected. But you're going to come across a lot of farmers who are in the conventional agriculture system who really believe that there's only one way to farm. And that's to till the land, add fertilizer, add the NPK fertilizer, and get your corn and soy crops rotate them every year, let the land rest for the winter. Um, and that's how you farm. And that's just kind of a recipe for soil erosion. And we've really seen that over the last 100 years of agriculture, you've seen we've seen a significant reduction in the amount of topsoil. And so tillage is this idea of like, overturning the soil. And so what it does is it actually like reaches down into the soil and in that process of like, reaching down deeper into soil, it destroys like critical fungi networks. It also releases carbon into the atmosphere that was otherwise stored in the soil. And so that's one factor. And then the NPK fertilizer gives the plants free nutrients. And so then therefore the plants are getting everything that they think they need from these fertilizers and they don't have to put in extra work by communicating with fungi in the network, in the soil below them. And so that kind of disrupts this really critical plant and fungi root relationship. There's that piece that it's kind of limiting our soil. And in that process, um, the soil health is really poor. And we see a lot of wind and water erosion. Uh, you hear people talking about how soil is being washed into the Mississippi River. And then that soil is being brought down into the Gulf Coast. And we're seeing a lot of like pollution down there. And so we're seeing a lot of topsoil just be removed from our surface and like those farmers believe that it takes a thousand years to grow an inch of topsoil. And so they think, oh, okay, I'm not going to be on this planet for a thousand years. So there's nothing I can personally do, but no one really talks about the idea of regenerative agriculture, where if you follow certain principles, you can improve soil health and you can actually grow topsoil like three to four inches in like a decade, which like is awesome. And that's something that we want to do. 
because uh, the more topsoil that we have, the more nutrients that the soil is going to have. So the more nutrients those animals and the plants that we grow on that soil has. Um, I can, okay, I'm just going to do a quick run through of like, <laughs> in addition to like healthier soil, it also helps sequester carbon from the atmosphere. So you hear a lot of people about like how we have excess greenhouse gas emissions in the, um, in the atmosphere. Um, and so with regenerative agriculture, you can actually sequester a lot of that carbon into the soil. So it's like safer. So those plants that are sitting on the soil, um, photosynthesis, they, they suck in carbon um, dioxide and um, they use that photosynthesis to generate like energy. So glucose for the plant itself. Um, and then the idea with regenerative agriculture, especially with like animal integration is those animals then come and like bite at the plants. And the plants almost view that as like an injury. So it's almost like humans like working out, your muscles get slightly damaged. And so then your body preserves nutrients to go to that site and repair that muscle. And then in the process, your muscle grows. So the plants see those plant um, animal bites as like a wound and they need to generate more glucose. Uh, and so they increase their photosynthesis. So they sequester more carbon into the plant. They need nutrients from the fungi below them. So they send some more um, glucose into the soil to feed those fungi. And then in exchange, they get nutrients from those fungi. So the carbon gets like sequestered and then pushed into the soil for like, for it to be more stable. So it's, I, I don't know enough, but this is like kind of my general like overview understanding. And so we're really excited to like experience this firsthand and hopefully document our improved organic matter in our soil and hopefully our generation of topsoil. That's awesome. So is that the only beneficial part that the animals play in that process? No. So the animals are going to pee and poo, and that serves as like natural fertilizer for the land. Um, and I think that that's a really important piece. Some, But there's many other principles of regenerative agriculture besides livestock integration, such as year-long green. So this uh, idea of having the soil covered at all points of the year. And how often do you drive through these agriculture fields where the fields are barren a third of the year they're like resting well that like really makes the soil susceptible to wind and water erosion and so you'll hear about farmers who are planting cover crops in their off season and that really helps it adds like it gives the uh, soil like a shield and it protects and improves the organic matter in the soil so there's many other regenerative agriculture principles um, but livestock integration is definitely a really important part of it mm -hmm. so for someone who is in the plant-based sphere for ethical or environmental reasons, what is your argument against that? So I think that um, there's a, a right and a wrong way to do an animal-based diet. And I also think that there's a right and a wrong way to do a plant-based diet. Um, I think that if someone is able to source their vegetables from um, biodynamic. biodynamic regenerative agriculture farms, I think that that's totally fine. It's just, it's really hard to find produce from regenerative agriculture farms these days. That's that's one part of our diet that isn't necessarily always sustainable. For example, if we find some fruit and it's organic, organic kind of doesn't mean anything um, in terms of how those farmers are treating the land because a lot of organic farms are practicing monocropping. They're spraying synthetic, it's not synthetic, it's natural fertilizer, but it's still free nutrients to the plants. And so organic doesn't necessarily mean regenerative. Um, and so, I think talking to that plant-based person, asking them where they're sourcing 
their produce from, um, if they're relying on bananas that are being shipped over from a different country to analyze the costs, the transportation costs of, of that kind of thing. I think just always returning to regardless of what type of diet you're doing is where you are sourcing your food from and how that farmer is treating the land, which it's really challenging to find regenerative farmers these days because of the current government system rewards farmers for maximizing yield. There's no reward set up for being a land steward. There's no reward for, hey, you increase your organic matter by 2%, 3%, like you get additional um, like funding. There, there's nothing like that set up. So who there's, there's no incentives for being in a land steward. There's only incentives for maximizing your yield. And so government subsidy structure right now kind of skews people from not caring about soil health. So it, it's really hard regardless of what side of the spectrum that you're on. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. What are some of the tips that you would say that people can find regenerative agricultural practices? Find, like find farmers? Mm -hmm. Find farmers, yes. We always direct people to eatwild.com. It's just a really easy website that like, based on your location, it will give you the list of farmers in that area and it provides like what they farm. So if it's just crops or what kind of animals they provide. Um, there's another one called localharvest.org. And then what was the other, the new one? There's like a new, I think it's called, it's on regeneration inner, mm, hold on. We'll go to our, <laughs> we also like to just find uh, search in Google, like regenerative farm and then your area. Yeah. Um, it's called farmshake.com and then regenerationinternational.org. They have a regenerative places. farm map. Yes. So there are some resources. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard. And I it's think it's hard because you don't find it in the grocery store. And so it seems like this like extra step to like locate somewhere where you can buy meat. But once you do it, once you realize it's like really sustainable and it often costs less Yeah. because the farmer doesn't have to ship their meat to the grocery store and they can eliminate that cost and you can get a relationship with them and bargain or and get like bulk. a full car, get full cow or something buy in bulk. So it really helps financially too, is what we learned. Yeah. Or I mean, the next option is to kind of grow your own produce, which is challenging. Um, but if you really care about where your food comes from, I think that that is an option. That's what we want to get to eventually. It's just really infeasible right now with like a very small backyard um, and three big dogs. But down the line, I think that that would be really cool to do. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say are the biggest tips that you would give someone both from a nutritional perspective and from a sourcing perspective, if they were just now starting this journey? Ooh, their health journey. Mm -hmm. Like they're, so they're okay. Hmm. Nutritionally, um, I would not focus on getting your nutrients, your micronutrients from plant sources, unless you're going to be vegan. Um, in that case, I feel like you definitely have to supplement some nutrients in, but I would prioritize things like liver or oysters for the bulk of your nutrients and try to have that a few times a week, a serving at least, um, and prioritize easy to digest carbs instead of just like eating anything and everything and really focus on the way that you cook the carb too, because that can impact how you digest it, especially if you're dealing with an autoimmune disease. So examples of that would be like a potato. Don't just like microwave it for a few minutes, boil it for like 40 to 45 minutes. So that way it's really broken down. Um, and then other easy to digest carbohydrate sources are like raw honey, certain fruits, um, 
roasted and cooked squash. Um, and when it comes to like forming a meal, I would say always add protein to yep. your plate. I know that's really simple. And then if you're going to have a carb, I would add like a starchy carb, I would add saturated fat to it as well. Like we like to do potatoes with butter or squash with butter. I mean, you don't have to do these things. These are just things that we've found have really helped us like have sustained energy, have good digestion and yeah. feel good throughout the day. And then for your protein, um, would always suggest trying to balance your methionine to glycine ratio. So those are both amino acids. And so you'll hear a lot of people on the plant-based side talk about how methionine is really high in muscle meat. Um, and that's why like animal-based diets are bad for your health. And so they say, reduce your methionine intake. Well, there's plenty of studies showing that if you just keep your methionine rate, uh, intake constant and increase your glycine, it does the same effect. And so really try to balance your muscle meat with like collagen sources. And an easy way to do that would be to incorporate cuts that are near the bone. So that's a really easy way because you're getting in that collagen and connective tissue. Um, but we like to always make sure that we have our muscle meat with like homemade gummies. So gummies are made out of gelatin um, or a cup of bone broth. And so that's kind of balancing that methionine with those glycine sources. Yeah. And I think like you also have to look at your goals because if you're just trying to lose weight and that's like your health journey, you don't really have to do any of this. Like it mostly comes down to your calories that you consume and being in a caloric deficit. These are things that are going to help you like throughout that journey and like feel great and optimize your hormones throughout. I think there's like a pretty large difference in just thinking of like weight loss or weight gain versus like optimizing. optimizing. Yeah. And then one final note uh, for your fat sources. I don't think anyone should ever be low, oh, yeah. low fat. I don't think that that's a good idea. But I do think that um, your fats should be primarily saturated fats. And so that's largely animal fats. And so we like to consume raw butter, um, raw beef suet. Um, we also have coconut oil and cacao butter is another saturated fat. And try to just limit your nuts and seed intake. Um, definitely try to get rid of all vegetable oils out of your diet if you can. And then if you like nut butter, like enjoy it on occasion, but just don't make it a priority. I think um, a lot of people, they come into this health and wellness sphere and they try to just be hundred percent perfect. And like, they don't realize that that can actually cause a lot of mental, mental stress, which, it, which can hold you back too. Um, and so look for consistency, not perfection. Definitely. I would say, um, the two tips that I've kind of come across whenever it comes to those is an Instapot for the potatoes. It is tremendous. I love it. Um, and then whenever it comes to nut butter, if you're going to partake, I would do macadamia nut butter. That's always a good option to do. Great point. Mm -hmm. It's definitely lower. It's higher in MUFAs as opposed to uh, PUFAs. Right. Definitely. So where can people find y'all if they're kind of looking for some of the stuff that y'all are doing? So we're largely on Instagram as at uh, strong.sistas. S-I-S-T-A-S. And then we're also on YouTube as strong.sistas. Um, we're kind of at a really busy transition period of our life, moving from our current house and starting a farm. And so we're not as active as we like will be in the future, but we're really looking forward to sharing like every step of our farming journey, um, starting as noob first generation farmers mm -hmm. from scratch with zero experience. And so we're going to try to make it entertaining, educational, and we'll definitely share our nutrition approach along the way as well. And then we um, have a newsletter that comes out every week and you can subscribe to that on our website, which is armstrongsisters.com. Awesome. And y'all are also coming out with a cookbook, correct? 
Yeah, that is with Dr. Paul Saladino, carnivore MD, and that's going to be out in 2022. Because like, I think 2020 was a really crazy year. So the published date got pushed back, but it's really cool. It's going to be, although it's with the carnivore doctor, it's not full carnivore. It is going to incorporate a lot of the concepts that we've talked about today. So recipes that include organ meats um, and some without, and then these easy to digest carbs and saturated fats. Awesome. Well, for all of those of you listening, make sure to go check them out. Uh, I know I love looking at y'all's Instagram all the time. Y'all crack me up with y'all's dances. So uh, it's hilarious. Um, but I really appreciate y'all's time and thank y'all for hopping on here today. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment down below if you want us to cover a different topic.